All right. Hey, happy Thursday evening, everybody. Welcome to Thursday nights with Brad here, Pastor Brad. We're going to go through the book of 1 Corinthians. We did the introduction last week. We called Corinthians a messy church, and they were a messy church. Paul was bringing correction and admonition to the church and guidance. And so we're going to pick up and start reading through chapter 1. Father, I pray again that you'll open our hearts and our minds and our spirits to the Word of God and grant us wisdom and revelation as we speak and as we hear. Open our hearts and minds, Lord. Let us know the power that we have in Christ and the authority and the riches of the glory of the inheritance we have in Jesus and he has in us. We pray that, Father, in Jesus' name. All right, I'm going to start reading. So let's read, read chapter 1 a little bit. Paul called to be an apostle by Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ, called to be saints, with all who everywhere in every place call on the name of the Lord, both theirs and ours, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is really good, really cool, very interesting here. Even though they're a messy church, Paul says they are called by God to be saints and that they are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Paul is going to bring up this thought of being in Christ Jesus over and over again. What makes someone a Christian? A Christian has been baptized, in, which Paul will deal with, baptized into the body of Christ. When we are, and this isn't just a water baptism, this is a spiritual baptism, of which water baptism is a uh, visible picture. But we are baptized into a body, and that is the body of Christ. We become a part or members of Christ. And Paul's going to hit this theme again and again. So when Paul says, in Christ, that's what he means. So this is a messy church, but everyone in this church that's in Christ, okay, they are being sanctified by the Lord, separated, okay? And even though there's sin and different things going on, the people are carnal, they're divided, Paul still treats them like they are saints. Now he deals with their sin, and we'll talk about that as we go on. It's just important to know, as long as any man is in Christ, okay, he's in that ark, okay, he is, he is a Christian, and he or she is a saint. So, and that's how Paul's going to treat him as the church of God. So he says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything, in him, see there you go, by him in all utterance and all knowledge, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation or the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of the Lord Jesus. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ. Paul is saying that these folks were enriched in everything, in knowledge, in speaking, in utterance. The testimony of Christ was confirmed in them. <clears throat> Again, <clears throat> even though they're a messy church, even though in many ways they're carnal, the gifts of the Spirit were operating in abundance in Corinth. 
And this really goes back to the idea of grace. A gift is a gift is a gift is a gift. You do not earn it. There can be very immature spiritual people operating in spiritual gifts in the church because a gift is a gift. I had the gift of prophecy. As soon as I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, the gift of prophecy operated in my life. And I used to prophesy at the church I was at. I also had the gift of tongues and interpretation. And I started speaking tongues out and also interpretation. But I was a very immature believer at that point in my life. I had a lot of things that needed to happen, but I had a lot of zeal for God, a lot of excitement, and the gifts of God were operating in my life. So even though I was operating in the gifts, the Lord was setting about to sanctify me wholly, to take Christ who was within me and transform me from inside out. And I had a lot of change that needed to be made in my life. That's exactly how the Corinthian church was. They were saved by the grace of God. They were enriched by the grace of God. They were gifted by the grace of God. But in many ways, they were immature. And this is why Paul was writing this corrective letter. He's trying to bring things in order in this church. So do not think just because someone operates in a gift that they are a mature Christian. They may be a very immature Christian and operate in gifts. Someone could be a Christian for 40 years and really not be that developed in the love of God and the character of God and the nature of God, but be operating in spiritual gifts. It's very possible. All right, let's go on. And he gets right into it. Now, I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you speak the same things that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. This scripture about being perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment, that there be no divisions, that they're speaking the same things, this is throughout Paul's writing. He mentions it in the book of Romans. He talks about it in the book of Philippians. This idea of having one mind and one heart and unity. And you think, how can, this, how can this be? How can they be perfectly joined together? Well, first of all, we are joined together in the mind of Christ. We have to understand what the mind of Christ is. The mind of Christ is meek. The mind of Christ is gentle. The mind of Christ is forbearing. The mind of Christ is humble. The mind of Christ is loving and patient. Actually, James talks about the wisdom of God and gives all these attributes about how it's meek and it listens, it's forbearing, it's easy to be entreated, full of mercy, good fruit. That's the mind of Christ. So Paul says we can be joined together in that mind. Now, there's another way that we should be joined together, and that's under authority. And I don't, people in our age kick against authority so much. Paul is in authority, and he is going to give direction and guidelines to this church. And if they're going to be joined together, they need to listen to Paul and come under the teachings that he's giving them. Okay, if one person says, hey, I'm of Paul, and I'm of Peter, and I'm, I'm of Jesus, and everybody's divided. Paul is teaching them, hey, 
That's not the way. But he's bringing correction, and he expects them to listen to him. I've taught this so many times at church. Brian, that's how it is everywhere in our life. Like, you're a father. That's your home. You have authority. Okay, now it should be loving authority. It should be Jesus' authority. But you have authority in your home. We, we pray it's godly authority, which is always looking out for the interest of others, right? When you go to work, you're under authority. Everybody doesn't do their own thing. You have a mission. You have supervisors that are guiding you in that mission. And then, and you know, school system, you have authority. You have teachers. You have a principal. You have a school board. There's authority. You know, in home, husbands and wife. The, the husband is the head of the wife like Christ is the head of the church. 1 Peter chapter 3 says, women, obey your husbands. The Greek word for obey there is obey. That's what it means. Listen to your husbands. And it tells husbands, hey, don't be harsh or hard on your wives. It said your prayers will get hindered if you are. There's instruction in the word of God about authority. In, in, in our government, Paul says, obey the laws of the land. You're under authority. So there's nowhere you go in life that there's not authority. And there's a proper way to yield authority, which Paul will get into later in this book. So unity comes from having the mind of Christ and being humble, forbearing, meek. But it also, it also comes taking that mind and submitting to authorities. Paul says in the book of Hebrews, obey your leaders in the Lord. It says it all the time. So uh, your leaders have the ability to correct you. To, in fact, they're told to rebuke, reprove, correct, and instruct you. Why? So that you can be sound in the faith. That is the duty of a spiritual leader. He or she must bring correction or rebuke or admonition or teaching and instruction. So if we're going to be in unity, we have to understand that. If your pastor or your leader is giving you instruction in the Lord and there are people that are trying to pull you away from it, they are divisive. I didn't mean to even go this way. Um, didn't mean to go this way, Brian, but I'm, I'm going to just, I'll, I'll finish up here. Um, Paul tells you if there's a divisive person in your midst, he says, reject them. This is in the book of Romans. He says, don't have anything to do with them because they're just serving themselves. They're just serving themselves. If you've got a vision and direction by your pastor and the elders of the church, and you're going a certain direction, and there's someone trying to bring in division, it says reject them. They're only serving themselves. Don't be duped by that, and don't be fooled by that. Okay, now, I'll say this, and then I will end, and we'll pick up here next week. Just so authority, and Brian, you know I've taught this a lot. Like, I don't have any authority to tell, talk to you and tell you how you do your finances at home, or how you run your house or how you and Minty have a certain relationship. That's not my business. I can't go to your job and tell you how to do your job. I, I, I can't even, I can't, I can encourage you to vote, vote Jesus, vote moral, vote a certain way, but that's between you and the Lord. You have authority everywhere you go. In the church, your pastor and elders have authority, but we don't wander out of our place and try to, you know, speak in authority in areas where we don't have any authority. Also, anytime a leader, whether it's mom or dad or pastor or president of the United States or school board, 
If they tell you to do something that directly contradicts a commandment of God, okay, then you have the expectation is you have to obey God rather than men. For example, the Sanhedrin, they are the leaders of the Jewish community, told Peter that he couldn't preach Jesus anymore. And Peter said, hey, I have to obey God and not men. That wasn't rebellious. He, in that situation, his conscience was, no, I've been commissioned to preach. You're telling me not to. My authority, God is telling me to preach. That same Peter, in the book of 1 Peter, tells us to obey the king and obey the laws of our land. So Peter wasn't rebellious, okay? He said, you got to obey rulers. You have to obey the king. you got to obey the laws of the land. But if, there, if someone is asking you to do something that violates your conscience, then you have to obey the Lord, but you may suffer for it. You may be persecuted for it by making that stand. And that's where you, you call out to God. So what am I saying? Division comes when people reject authority or when they don't walk in the mind of Christ. We'll pick up there next week. A little longer.